You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster Talk is supported by listeners like you. Find out how you can contribute via Patreon or with reviews at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Your contributions, large or small, make a huge difference. Thanks. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. Hey there, Monster Talkers. Karen and I have been putting together episodes and interviews, but some family health issues around Team Smith have dug into my ability to get all the edits done. But fear not, there's stuff in the pipeline and I'm working diligently to get it out. What follows is a Patreon-supported exclusive episode, slightly edited for the regular feed. We'll be doing more of this kind of content over there because I can post it quickly without any edits. And as I get time, I'll edit these down for the regular feed, bleeping out the adult language and trimming back a few of the tangents. But after soliciting input from the patrons, they want all this stuff to get out to you guys and not to be hidden behind some paywall. And I'm absolutely in agreement with them on that. So patron support gets you quicker access to this content, but I'm releasing nearly everything to the main feed eventually, as soon as I can get it edited properly. Also... Uh, If you like puzzles, I've written up an investigation I did on an old 1980s Commodore 64 gaming contest, which I posted on Medium. It came to six parts. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to milk everyone out of money. I've set everything to be free, but the way Medium is set up, it turns out you can only read five articles for free. So if you want to read it without having to sign up or wait until another month or opening it in a new tab uh, using incognito or whatever other method you might get around there, stuff. I guess what you could do is uh, skip part five, since all that is is uh, the clues uh, with no hints. Part six has all the clues and all the hints that I've been able to pull together across the internet. Uh, But if you like solving puzzles and like old video games or old contests, or if you remember the book Masquerade, that sort of thing, you might enjoy this article. To get to it, just go to bit.ly forward slash Quovadis Puzzle. That's Q-U-O-V-A-D-I-S-P-U-Z-Z-L-E. I'll put a link in the show notes. I hope you'll check it out. 
Uh, I know we've got some clever listeners out there. And if you know anyone who's interested in puzzles, have them check it out too, because I'd love to get to the bottom of it. And unfortunately, the, the person behind it is not interested in sharing the answer, but he says if anyone comes up with it, he'll confirm it. So let's get on to this episode. What follows, I think you'll enjoy. It's a long discussion with myself and Dr. Jeb Card, author of the book Spooky Archaeology, uh, repeat guest here and uh, from Archie Fantasies podcast about the mysterious site known as the Skinwalker Ranch. This story has everything. It's got UFOs and monsters, dimensional portals, government conspiracies, just about everything you could want in a monster story, except one small critical thing which skeptics demand in the face of extraordinary claims. But we'll get to that in the Monster Talk. Welcome to this conversation, to the listeners, because we've been talking for a little while. But uh, this is a conversation with myself, Blake Smith, and Jeb Card. Hello, hello, Jeb. hello. And since we should come, up, we should come up with a name for these. Um, but you wanted to, um, you wanted to explore the place known as the Skinwalker Ranch in uh, Utah. Exactly. So I hinted at it in a previous episode where I just confessed that I had been avoiding this topic. My reasons were that uh, I've been following the Skinwalker Ranch since the 90s because yes. I was a hearty, you know, a frequent listener to the Coast to Coast AM radio show with Art Bell. Now, I'm just going to say this, and this might be something of a spoiler. I have a hard time in my head separating hearing about the Skinwalker Ranch from hearing about on the TV show Sightings in the 1990s, which I always thought was a Fox show, but apparently it was a uh, um, syndicated show where it was basically a news program of the paranormal where they were covering the Mysterious Valley, a.k.a. the San Luis Valley, um, uh, it, which is very similar in a number of respects. You know about that, right? Yes, and I also I remember watching a lot of sightings, but I have not bothered to add it to my uh, collection of. No, it's not uh, yeah. really worth revisiting unless you have a specific reason. But they would go almost every episode to, and now the continuing story of the mysterious valley in Colorado, and it was Christopher O'Brien and cat mutilations and UFOs and all that. And I have a really hard time because it feels very much like Skinwalker. The fact that Skinwalker comes pretty on the heels of that is. Interesting. But anyway. Well, I, I, this is one of the, the two big problems I have with Skinwalker Ranch. The, one of the problems is that you can't really talk about the things that happen there as though there's a cohesive narrative. There are so many weird phenomena. Let me just knock out a few of them here. All righty. You, you got cattle mutilations. Cattle mutilations. You've got UFOs. UFOs of all sorts. I remember there being a, a flying refrigerator-like object. Yeah, you've got uh, you've got poltergeist activity. Well, hang on, but we, we're still before we go there. <laughs> if we're t we're just talking about things flying in the sky, we have like a flying refrigerator-like object. Uh, there are various colored orbs. The most famous being the ones they end up referring to as the blue meanies. These kind of like basketball-sized orbs that fly around and do bad things, at least at certain times. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple other kinds of UFOs. Continue uh, and black helicopters. Oh yeah, okay. uh, but you had you, said poltergeist, right? You, you've got <laughs> you've got uh, Bigfoot like creatures, tall, lanky humanoid, and they're not just seeing the woods. Where do they come from? Sometimes they just step out of portals, Jeb. Orange portals. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, right. At, and then from one side, you'd be able to see the thing coming out. And from the other side, you would just yep. not see anything. And then it lopes and then it runs away at high speed. Right. Uh, there are predator creatures. Uh, like they have the sort of camouflage of predator. Uh, yeah. 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 Like the, the shimmery thing. Not that old NBC show where they would like lure, lure a horrible guy right, not, to right, a Not place. to catch a predator. <laughs> no, not that. And and not like actual natural, but like, you know. But like. Uh, a, get to the chopper. Right, exactly. Exactly. It's like predator. if it bleeds, we can kill it. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> if it bleeds, we can kill it. Um, uh, there are uh, ghost dire wolves. Yeah. I like to think of that as spectral wolves. Not necessarily the same as the Hexam Heads. Spectral werewolves. Right. That's well, distinctly yeah. different. Yeah. And then um or there, is there, it? there well or is it exactly? Uh there are cattle mutilations. Yes, yes. There's also teleporting cows and cattle taunting, I guess would be the way to call it. I, you know, yeah, it's kinda it's kinda like the opposite of cattle tipping. It's kinda or cow tipping. It's like cow packing, which mm. sounds way dirtier mm-hmm. than I meant mm. it to be. Mm. Um like being pushed into this this all sounds bad. Uh, in into like corrals and and, and a shed or something like yeah. that. You have a uh, disappearing livestock, teleporting livestock. Um, you have uh, cameras foot- being torn apart. Uh, footprints that disappear in the middle of a mud pat- patch. I don't know what, what yep. you call that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, mud. If if there's if there's anything weird, it's it it's happening there, right? In fact, the term has been applied. A paranormal Disneyland. It has been applied. In fact, yes. Okay. So that's part one of the problem. It's very difficult to pinpoint the what is happening. Okay. See, I have no problem with that, but continue. Well, here's part two. Also puffed. Continue. Here's part two. There, to the best of my knowledge, is absolutely zero physical evidence for any of this stuff to have actually happened. If I remember correctly... There is an image in uh, George Knapp's and Colm Kelleher's Hunt for the Skinwalker book, which I want to say is 2005. That I have, it, is, I have it right here. Is I think there's like a black and white. It's 2005, uh, it is. Yeah, there's a black and – it's an academic thing. I can't remember people's names because respect, but uh, dates of books I can totally remember. Um, citations. But – there's a there's a a very blurry photo that's related to the portal incident with the Bigfoot. Mm. That my does pa- not. My, my paperback has no photos. Oh, uh, see, I remember a, like being a very small number, and it is neither portally nor Bigfooty looking. But I could be mistaken on that. Not on the. It looks like Bigfoot or portal, but whether there's a photo. But no, there isn't. And to the point where when I mentioned cameras that were destroyed, that's sort of one of the last bits in that book. So, as you mentioned, this was – see, I would actually point out a third problem with all of this. So, one, there's all this crazy stuff, which, again, if you've heard my contributions, as problematic as they are, to Monster Talk and other things, uh, I revel in the Paranormal Unified Field Theory, and Skinwalker Ranch is sort of – Ground zero? I mean, Yeah, yeah. kind of <laughs> – well, I wouldn't say well, ground no, no, zero. I, it's, it's not like the initiating point. But no, but it is, it's a it is nexus a, point. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a nice nexus of that, um, uh, a focal point of it. But so that doesn't bother me. My issues are one the mention that you mentioned that there's no photo, there's no video. Uh, so so one there's this no photo, no physical, which has actually led people like John Alexander and others to say that 
science won't work there. And in fact, there's a precognitive out of time entity that can see or know before we do things so that it can foil our efforts. Mm, that would be now, the, uh, that would be the, uh, the guy, invisible dragon. Well, of, the, uh, guy lion, the guy lion playfair approach, you know, I have to step out of the room and give them a sound so that they can take the photo because otherwise the poltergeist won't show. Well, no, there at least yeah. there's 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 an there's an admittance of the issue yeah. versus it really reminds me of in Demon is it Demon Haunted World? Yeah, uh, no, by, the Invisible Dragon. That's Carl Sagan's. Yeah, yeah. Where he literally talks about the Invisible Dragon, where it's like, okay, so it it defeats cameras and defeats you and. And they're like, well, but quantum and collapsing time. I'm like, okay, you know what? We're never going to get there. So it, let's it, just it's that. a litany of special pleading to account for the missing evidence. Or, yeah. or, the, or the world is incredibly bizarre and insane and weird and we can't deal with it. And uh, when we correlate the contents of these various sciences straining, we will either go mad from the revelation or flee into the safety and darkness or the safety of a new dark age. But um, the part that bothers me more is that Everything we have, with some exceptions that come later, and one exception that comes earlier, which is interesting, all comes from, in essence, one source. So you mentioned Coast to Coast. I did. Yeah. So in the late 90s into the 2000s, this starts to be a recurring topic on Coast to Coast uh, and George Knapp and, and, and others talking about this. And then we all waited for the 2005 Hunt for the Skinwalker book by Knapp and uh, alumnus of the National Institute for the Discovery Sciences, NIDS, uh, Colm Kelleher, which basically just told a story about a Bigfoot coming out of a portal and something something destroyed a camera, something. Oh, it was so disappointing. I really wanted it to be good. Well, and that was that's all of what we have. Yeah. I mean, when I say, let me let me clarify. It's full of interesting stories. There's just no nothing like the 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 is it true part of me won't let it go, and there's nothing there. Well, not like that. It's yeah. one source. Yeah, it's, it's one source, and the sources we had before are that same source. And, I, and the, it, every source we've had since is basically the same source. It may yeah. not be Keller, but it's George Knapp, and of course, all these people are tied to Robert Bigelow. Yeah. Who is for our listeners the billionaire hotel magnate, uh, aerospace magnate, who buys the ranch in the 1990s and creates the National Institute for Discovery Sciences, hiring scientists, former FBI agents, all sorts of or analysts, all sorts of folks um, to go study the ranch as a paranormal laboratory. In other words, what if you believed that you could have a place where paranormal things happened? In a bounded space, why would you not study that in place? It actually makes some sense. But everything that's come from this has been very non-replicable and the point to the point where everybody's like, well, science doesn't work because of this. And they don't just mean science doesn't work there. They mean science doesn't work. At least yeah. there are places, yeah, in the larger scheme, and then something, something, quantum, just, something. I find weird since Kelleher theoretically should have been a scientist. I mean, that was well. There were a lot of scientists yeah, involved. Yeah, there are a lot of people with scientific background. Yeah. Um, we we may get into that, but you, you know, there, there's science, and there's science, and then there's science, and every, all this is done right, by humans. It's always worth remembering that science is performed by human beings, and theoretically, science is in 
as a methodology is supposed to get rid of biases. Right. And, but, and but that no, only, only works if you have multiple people with different biases. <laughs> well, and I think that's that's the big thing yeah. here. Now, the thing that might sort of uh, challenge that is the fact that this region of Utah, the Uinta or Uinta or Uinta Basin, yeah, yeah uh, had been studied and published on by was was Frank Salisbury a, a biologist, if I remember correctly? Mm, um, I don't recall. I could look it in up. the in the late 1960s, early 70s. Uh, Frank Salisbury uh, wrote uh, the Utah UFO display: A Scientist's Report. Yeah, he's a biologist. Uh, or a biologist report. There's a couple different versions of it. Plant, uh, is that plant physiologist? Is that the same guy? I, I think so, yeah. yeah. And he basically had very yeah, similar yeah. sorts of experiences and conclusions in this part of Utah. Of He was studying UFOs, but he's like, also, people report, and then a lot of the things we're talking about. It is rarely noted, and I only relatively recently discovered this. It wasn't a very hard discovery. I just hadn't known it. This is also at a point in his life, which he later sort of rejected, where Salisbury is also a creationist. Yeah, he's a he's a Mormon. Yep. Yeah, and so there's a lot. I mean, not going that all Mormons here. are creationists, but yeah, he is. So there. Yeah, but there's <laughs> yeah, there's a religious thing going on yeah, here. So yeah. there's there's a lot to take in here, but one could point out that much of what you hear involved with the the notion of the Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, now that term, by the way comes from traditional and it's sort of a misunderstanding of to some degree of Diné or Navajo uh, witches. Yes. And, 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 and it's a huge pet peeve of mine because when I first was introduced to the concept of the skinwalker, I thought it was one of the most interesting bits of like uh, Native American culture and folklore that I'd ever heard of. And to see it sort of slapped onto this UFO story really bugged me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I, I see the same sort of thing with the Wendigo. Like, there are people that take the Wendigo seriously. My but burning it's, feet of fire! Well, Sorry. there's that. There's <laughs> that. I mean, you know, the, the, the Algernon and Blackwood story is really good, and it has damn near zero to do with anything involving... Wendigo, not a, not a whiff of cannibalism. <laughs> no, and 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 then it gets picked up by August Derleth. Does not help matters. Yeah, not, none of this does. Um, <laughs> so we see something similar here, where the Skinwalker, because of the fact that the Skinwalker Ranch book starts off with a spectral wolf, and the idea or, of or uh, perhaps spectral direwolf, right. Uh, and the fact that there is there are some shape shifting elements, and there's also you know Tony Hillerman's involved in here. Skinwalker has become for a lot of people. Oh, that's a Native American werewolf. It's like uh, 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 not really. Yeah. Have we discussed the book Blood Sucking Witchcraft: Anthropomorphic Supernaturalism in Rural Slash Kala? It's written much later. The research is done in the 1960s. It's an excellent book. It is unfortunately not cheap. I just looked it up that there's a used for $24.99. That's the, the cheapest on Amazon. I'll see if I can do something about that. Um, Could you say the title he, one more time? Just uh, Blood-Sucking way. Witchcraft and Epistemological Study of Anthropomorphic Supernaturalism and Rural Tlashkala. God, by, that seems yeah. like a book I should totally have in my collection. Hugo Nutini and John Roberts. Roberts added the medical aspect to this. 
uh, Hugo Nutini was an ethnographer in Mexico in the 1960s. He was one of my professors wow. at Pittsburgh in the early 1990s, and I did not know at that time that he was also the guy that when he kind of got revealed as working for the CIA in South America, uh, unveiled by sort of accident, Project Camelot, the, the short-lived cooperation between U.S. intelligence uh, operatives and anthropologists. Now, there's a much longer history of that. Wait, isn't there a chapter on, 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 uh, on anthropology and, and, and spying in your yeah, book? in Spook Spooky Archaeology. Spooky Archaeology. Yeah. Where, where's that available again? It is. It's, it's available. It's actually on sale right now. I, I don't know if you've been noticing that. Um, but uh, uh, Nutini was one of my professors, and I do talk about him in there. It is a fantastic book. I have used Chapter 5 from that as an exercise numerous times because it's basically about witchcraft traditions in the small Mexican, central Mexican state of Tlaxcala though these traditions are much broader, but he looks at them in Tlaxcala where he was working. And chapter five focuses on the depredations in one tiny little town in one night where eight children are alleged to have been, had their blood sucked out until they died by the shape-shifting Tualuapuchi. Now here's the thing. Chapter 5 doesn't give any quote-unquote Western rational explanation. It just documents it all very clinically. Like what's happening, who's interacting, what's going on the morning they hear about this. There's much more, but it literally reads like an X-File. Wow. The rest of the book is sort of an explanation. Well, no, but it's it's a fantastic book. But anyway, the reason I bring it up is uh, prior to the description of this Talapuchi outbreak, uh, which does to some degree get explained in the book. Um, I'll put that in the it, uh, show notes, by the way. Yeah, it talks about uh, the various kinds of anthropomorphic supernaturals in, in traditional indigenous society in Mexico. And a number of them remind one of the skinwalkers and, and other kinds of of North American uh, shapeshifters as well, like the Nahual that changes into a coyote and is a bit harmful, a bit trickster, but not going to murder you, versus the Talapuchi, which is just bad news. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so the Skinwalker Ranch thing in in Utah that gets applied to in the 1990s something that sounds a lot like Salisbury's book, and also a lot like the Mysterious Valley books. That were published in the very, I think, the very late '80s or very early '90s into the mid '90s, and publicized on the Sightings TV show, uh, coming out of paranormal investigator Christopher O'Brien, who again was big into cattle mutilations, uh, and that's kind of what really became his thing. But also documenting just all sorts of weirdness. So in another in the San Luis Valley of Colorado. You just reminded me of another slight tangent here. So since I've been doing Monster Talk, even before I started, uh, I had been in conversation with multiple taphonomists. So yeah. taphonomists study uh, the decay of, of living bodies, right? Or just how things how things kind of come to be. You yeah. Know, like how, how an archaeological or a paleontological or a forensic site sort of, you know, Pompeii buries everything in ash immediately. Well, most things don't work that way. Right. So how does a scene become the scene it becomes? So I, I really, really want to have a taphonomist on because um, 
there are so many overlaps of, of multiple monster topics, but I, I the, you could just go like the forensics. Uh, we've got the body farm up in Tennessee where they look at how human bodies yep. decay over time. The work, the work of Bill Bass. Yeah. Uh, the use of insects in forensic science, just astonishing what they can tell uh, generationally. As, as uh, I, I guess when you die or anything dies, uh, uh, corpse eating flies uh, will yes. will just appear really quickly to the point they're so fast that ancients used to think that meat spawned flies that, that maggots mm-hmm. actually spawned uh, you know spontaneously from from dead animals but mm-hmm. they can tell from the you know like the generational DNA information how long something's been there by how many generations of you know insect larvae have been left on yes. the body it's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I remember doing a paper in, in you know a long time ago, twenty years ago, when I was in grad school, uh, about seasonality of human death and being able to tell, oh, well these these people died at this time because there were these certain bugs that were mummified with them when they died, and it was yeah, that season, yeah, that and sort that, of stuff, know, and, yeah. And, and there, uh, you know, from a forensic side, there's uh, people who study pollen and all these other little things you wouldn't think about, but it kind of goes back to Sherlock Holmes, doesn't it? Because uh, you know, he used to, uh, his thing was, uh, analyzing cigarette ash, which I think is probably not real. Uh, but yeah, yeah that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the concept of, of taking the most uh, innocuous material and being able to deduce, oh, yeah. you know, what the implications are, uh, that's what taphonomy is all about. It's about being able to study how things decay, uh, what you can learn from that, uh, but it matters for cattle mutilation specifically because so many aspects of cattle mutilation or any animal mutilation, and this includes chupacabra and other monsters that are, you know, alleged to be involved in these sort of things, um, can be accounted for by normal decay processes. Right. But, you know, given, given that people see airplane contrails and believe them to be part of a global conspiracy – it's really not that hard to believe that people would see something weird in a corpse that they don't norm- normally run across right, because and see something weird. Be- being a rancher, you're not trained to understand how decay works. You're trained to keep animals alive. Uh, and and dealing with death and understanding the process of death, is not, even though death is part of ranching, it's not normal to like sit there and study how animals decay or how well, predation works, how, how uh, uh, what scavenging works. And so buzzards and insects, you know, insects can completely leave the eye socket empty, you know? Well, a, a and, nice, a know, nice comparison so, for this yeah. is um, the, the not terribly well-known fact that a lot of early understanding of decay and forensics came out of attempts to understand claims of vampire epidemics in the 18th century. You know, the whole, the, the fingernails. Are, keep, yep, nails are growing. Yeah, which of course growing. they yep. don't, they don't keep growing. The hair does not keep growing. But these kinds of observations were first made in attempts by people that did not know what was going on. So long story short, uh, the, the concept of the vampire is much older than the 18th century. But it's in the 17th and especially the 18th century that the notion of a revenant that comes back and drinks blood of the living and does all these awful things 
mixes with the idea of an outbreak of supernatural evil, not unlike the witch panics that had been going through Western Europe rather than Eastern Europe in the 16th and 17th centuries, blended together in the 18th century with the idea of vampire epidemics and various um, scholars and whatnot began to study what happened to corpses. Now, here's the thing. You'll hear people say, oh, well, ranchers know the land and they, they, they see death all the time. They know what a weird corpse would look like. Well, pre-industrial people were extremely familiar with the death of humans, given how often people, especially children, would die. But, uh, you know, death was extremely common. And often this would involve mourning rituals where people would not suddenly usher a body away to a mortuary and a hospital, all that. But, you know, there would literally be a sitting room for the dead and all that. People were familiar with death. Yeah. And yet it's only really in the 18th century that people start to notice, oh, these things are related to decay. Like the, these, these are things that we can track and we can predict through observation. This is not something that people automatically see because they've got other cultural eyes on them. Exactly. And the more we have medicine and we've got an entire death industry that takes bodies away, you typically don't sit there and see dead bodies decaying over time. Um, we're really well separated from like we're, we're separated from where our food comes from. Oh, yeah. We're separated from how death happens. And things like the fact that blood pools at the bottom of the body, you know, when you're full of blood, the blood always follows gravity once your heart stops beating and it, then it congeals, uh, your moisture evaporates. There's, you know, all these people are, are saying, um, these animals, they had no blood, which is preposterous. I mean, well, not only, not only that, 90% of the people listening to this, including yeah. myself to some degree, yeah. although not entirely who know what you just said. Yeah probably know it because they've seen it on a fictional depiction of forensic science on television. Oh, yeah. That's the one thing. That's the one big giant separation I have from probably most of the listeners. I don't watch those CSI type shows. Right. So. But, well, I mean, I, or even like, you know, other stuff, but, you know, you know like. But you're right. X-Files, no, but even, X-Files is kind of the, the father of all those, yeah. the mother of all those. But no, people, even if they know this, they know it through a different lens. They do not know it through primarily personal experience unless they have had these experiences so, you know, I'm not going to say that there's no weird cattle mutilation here, there, and anywhere, but there has been a number of reports, a number of studies that's like, oh, no, it's this, that, and the other. And, of course, it doesn't really matter because we live in the age where nothing matters and you believe what you want to believe, apparently. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the- all of these things are part of of the sort of paranormal Disneyland uh, of Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, but thanks, of course, thanks for bringing us back. <laughs> yeah. But of course, the thing is, there are any number of places like this. You know, the, these window areas, these these areas of, in essence, a haunted landscape. I, I suspect our listeners can think of several, some of them fictional, some of them not. Uh, I would say the granddaddy of that, well, maybe there's something earlier, but I would say the granddaddy is probably John Keel's Point Pleasant uh, with the Mothman prophecies, and, and much takes its inspiration from that. But there are plenty of them out there. The thing that makes Skinwalker different is that it becomes controlled. You know, John Keel can be the person who writes about Point Pleasant, but other people can too. In fact, Gray Barker did, and other people did, and there are people that live there, of course. 
Christopher O'Brien can write about the San Luis Valley, but others can as well. TV can go out there, et cetera. But Robert Bigelow buys the ranch in the 1990s and adds this aura of, on the one hand, mystery, but on the other hand, legitimacy. Because if this guy who owns hotels and aerospace has spent a large amount of money to buy this place and has hired a bunch of scientists, and the scientists are baffled, as they always are, mm-hmm. uh, by what happens there, well, clearly there must be something going on, right? I think this must be an evolutionary problem because there's this whole concept of status, right? And so we so i as a materialist and a person who believes in evolution i think we have a sort of uh, evolutionary dependence on the concept of status and one of the things that can make us have a, a, a status recognition of 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 a uh, of a high status character would be uh incredible beauty but the other would be incredible wealth and when a billionaire believes in something it for many people they're like, well he's a billionaire well, I'm I mean, going to interject. I'm going to interject yeah. a little on this because okay, the idea the idea of of status through wealth has to be relatively recent because you don't see wealth in the concept that you're talking about um, really before uh, this gets complicated, but the certainly not before age, twelve age of railroads. Well, <laughs> no, 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 like twelve thousand years ago. Oh, you're like, you're like kings, and so you mean really old? Okay, okay. okay yeah, yeah, but not. But from an evolutionary perspective, while yes, there's evolution. If we're talking about this behind a paper, I think status is correct. But you get into what we what I talk about in my classes: ascribed versus achieved status. Yeah. Every society on earth has achieved status. People that do cool things and therefore you think they're cool. Yeah, but it exists outside of uh, our species because if you uh, read about status in baboon cl- uh, clans. Right, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, well, we're just primates. Yeah, right. Yeah. We are primates. And, and within yeah. the primates, status is super important. Right. And, but, the, yeah, but, it's, yeah. but it's often achieved status, ascribed status, you know, the sort of, oh, they have a huge amount of money and there's class structure and all that. That's a bit more recent. But no, I, I would absolutely agree with you. I would say there's status I just and then think, there's I think, also I think, group cohesion. Right. I mean – Getting it, along with One people. might argue that if someone believed a, a billionaire uh, had special insight, that you could achieve almost anything. You might be able to achieve political power, for example – uh, I, I don't. That's wanna, that's, yeah. that's never happened. No, that's I, never happened. I think it might. I think people might. I, that's actually, never ha- that's that's never no, happened. No, I, I really believe it might. <laughs> that's that's never that's never going to happen in the United States. It's never going to happen. So so I, I think the point being, you could be relatively incompetent, but come by your wealth through inheritance. No, that's, that's no that's no no. I, I'm pretty sure this is true, Jeb. <laughs> that's never going to occur. Nine out of ten of nine out of ten of people uh, with my kind of background would would completely disagree. No, that's, no, that's no, never going to happen. I, so. If you had a TV show, we're for doing a bit, by the way. <laughs> if you can't tell, so in all seriousness, uh, but- though, we we have this problem with celebrities saying ridiculous nonsense and people believing it entirely because they're celebrities. And I I am actually empathetic with the no. People. There is there yeah. is a legitimacy to that. Yeah, there yeah. is something. I think it's really hard to overcome that. I think it really is. Uh, you know, especially if it's someone you respect and a lot of people respect celebrity without giving it much thought. Uh, well, I think, yeah. I think there's a bigger issue though. And this is why I feel comfortable, at least to some degree talking about the, as sort of skinwalkers an entry point, 
So Bigelow's a billionaire, and he's a billionaire, at least to some degree, in aerospace, and he has this credibility for the reasons you're talking about. But then he hires and brings in people. Now, some of the people he hires and brings in, we know because, oh, well, they're involved with Skinwalker. But then there's all the others. Because one of the reasons Skinwalker is so important is it is a key aspect, and possibly the key aspect, to understanding something. And we've talked about this on other episodes of the show, the ultra-terrestrial alien intrusion episode earlier this year, for example, with Natasha Michaels and Joseph Laycock, um, about, well, we talked about a number of things there, but in, in essence, it appears that we can start talking about a, 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 what I call a belief community in not just the U.S., but in circles of power in the U.S. military and in uh, and intelligence communities with a deep interest in not just parapsychology, but all kinds of weird shit that is interpreted through a largely, but not entirely parapsychological lens going back to the 1970s when the U S began to fund or be interested by people who do what becomes called not mediumship, but remote viewing, <laughs> which is totally different. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, 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 you know, because it's, it's, it's military. It's a military. It's a teachable technique. Yes. Uh, and so you have all these various names like John Alexander, like Hal put off, like these others who are associated with that, who keep popping up in the sort of orbit of Robert Bigelow yep. and other people for decades later, one of the books that actually have you read um, Howard Bloom's Out There? No, that sounds interesting. Howard Howard Bloom B L U M nineteen ninety Out There is a book that a lot of people don't pay attention to. It is in essence the prehistory of the men who stare at goats. Wow! Uh, and it is about a UFO working group, and it's clearly about the same people. Like names are not used, but it's clearly about. General Albert Stubblebine. And wow. I'm pretty sure – well, I mean I'm not saying it's about Stubblebine. Stubblebine's I know what you clearly, mean though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I suspect oh, part I should, of it's – Oh, I shouldn't say yeah, yeah, yeah because the listeners may not know all the shorthand. But Stubblebine uh, is kind of in charge of uh, – in fact, he's one of the main characters in The Men Who Stare at Goats. Right. Uh, he start, I think the book actually begins with him trying to run through a wall. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he's certainly in there. And, and there's a discussion of a colonel – in the in in out there i don't know that that's john alexander but i strongly suspect that's john alexander and again you're uh, you're hearing a who's who of coast to coast guests here as well. yeah yeah no, well you are you really are and, and i think that's not an accident because of course the the person that has brought all this to the attention of the public because these are not secret government programs they are quiet government programs to some degree and they all eventually start getting, not all, but quite a few start getting aired by uh, Las Vegas-based reporter George, George Knapp, Knapp. <laughs> who also makes Area 51 a global household name. But, but so all these people are, are, are in and out of Bigelow's sphere. And, and the thing that really tied a lot of this together was the revelation by, I believe it was in the New York Times and Politico simultaneously in December 2017 of the what was it Advanced Aerial Threat Investigation uh, or, or yeah, Identification Program terrible AA, acronym terrible acronym AATIP something like that yeah. um, 
which was pushed in those two high-profile. I mean, it was on the front cover of the New York Times, which I'm not going to say anything about the New York Times right now. I have thoughts. But um, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was on the cover, very UFO, very blurry tic-tac UFOs in gun cams from the, 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 the tic-tac Nimitz UFO video footage. That's like – I wish all of our UFO sightings were named after you know snacks. <laughs> Well, we got tortillas, we got exactly. uh, saucers, we got uh, you know gummy worms. I don't Ike know. and Mike, but, the, the, the the notorious Ike and Mike oh, sightings. There you go. <laughs> All I, I I just I don't want to know. I, I is it? Are we abducted by the the Sour Patch Kids? Yeah, the, is that the, what happens? The Twizzlers attack is. Oh uh, God! Uh, oh God! No, no, not and not those twisted the 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 Twizzlers that have the thing inside like the goo. Uh, no, no, no. No one wants no one wants to be meeting the thing of that. That's a Mongolian deathworm, but um, the that was all very sold as very UFOy, very technical, and tied into the to the stars and Tom, Tom DeLonge. DeLonge. Yeah, yeah. Blink but as two, lead singer, I think. So, right. Yeah. But as 2018 clicked on ever so slowly because every day appears to be a month in 2018. God, um, that is so true, it, isn't it? Uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's going to be hard to remember it's not 2018 to write our checks. I'm like, no, this year no. is going to be really friggin' easy. Also, no one writes checks. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, as, it, as 2018 clicked on, it became clear that Skinwalker was actually the anchor for all of this. Former senator, Senate oh, majority and, and leader. I was say, that's, that's not a figurative thing. That's a financial no. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, Senate, Senate, uh, former Senate majority leader Harry Reid, who was one of the major people who who pushed money into all of this. Got, that's your tax money, folks. said that Skinwalker Ranch was what brought him in, and it became increasingly clear that, like, well, yeah, yeah, UFOs, but really. We're studying consciousness and quantum and poltergeist-like activity at this ranch. Yeah. It makes you wonder how easy it is to convince a senator to fund something because uh, – I'm not going to touch that. I'm just not. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a frighteningly low bar apparently. Although, uh, although uh, I don't know how much serious investigation has been put into sort of quid pro quo type stuff, you know. Um I don't know how much Bigelow uh, supported uh, Harry Reid's, uh, you know, uh, financially. I don't. I don't know how many donations he made. And thanks to uh, Citizen United, I may never know. Some of there had there was some coverage of that um, at the time that this was coming out, and I don't have that at my fingertips. But if you're wondering about senators and convincing them of things uh just look up sun myung moon crowned king of america at u.s senate building in 2004 okay just go look that up because if we tell you this right now one it's going to be the mother of all tangents and two you're going to think we're doing a bit yeah, no. So just look yeah, that no. up yourself. No, there's, there's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not critiquing <laughs> it. I'm not judging it. Go do that. Just go do that. Pause here. Okay. Yeah. Come back and be like, yes, the world is a much more disturbing place than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. 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 
yeah, just I'm just going to put that out there. Again, it's a good point to remind people that the government is not a giant entity. It's, it's made, made of, of people. It's made of people. The government is made of people. Yeah, yeah it makes me sometimes wonder that you know maybe 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 AI might be better. Yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, so so no, the the fact that this is all the same people that have been circulating in and out of remote viewing and government experimentation with stopping the hearts of goats with your mind, uh, which, you know, also a 45 will do that. I'm just pointing that out. But Not, uh, as, not as exciting. Not as cool. Uh, yeah. No, I guess and, not. And let me just say, George Clooney, is quieter. George Clooney looks cool in a movie. I have never actually watched that movie. I felt bad because, and I, and I again, this is another tangent. I, I love this one's jo- probably not a tangent. I love John Ronson. I love his writing. I like him personally. He's been on the show. Uh, he's great. He likes the movie way more than I do. I, I just love the book so much. But this is this is Harry Potter. I mean, you know what I mean? It's uh, I like the book, and the movie is a totally different thing. So they tried to make a movie that was more of a comedy. Yeah. And and the book was more of a tragedy. So, yeah. Well, I'll say this. Yeah. The book plays it as a tragic comedy, which a lot of that writing does, which I will – I I'm okay. not going to critique Ronson. I'm not going to critique any particular people. I will say a lot of coverage of what we call weird shitology often has that tragic comic attitude towards it, which – we make funny funny, but when we study this, we actually take it really damn seriously. Um, even if we then make funny funny with it later, yeah. I think there is often a attitude in kind of respectable media of well, we got to mention little green men, we we got to mention you know tinfoil hats, we 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 have to have a, a sort of you know, uh, well maybe the truth is out there, you, you know, ending. Which we don't mean before we then go back to our upper middle class, lower upper class, you know, lives in Manhattan and London and San Francisco and whatnot, which of course we don't have. Uh, and I'll, I'll just that. Speaking of tangents, I don't. Well, I actually constantly tangent, but that one I will own as a tangent. Uh, I, I detected some of that in Ronson. I I think the fact that his book ends with an indictment of that, his book ends with the pointing out that, hey, it's not actually really funny that people were tortured by listening to Barney. Boom! That's the chapter that is the most powerful in the book. Right. Yeah, yeah. But of course, he sensibly understands that. I don't think most other people did. And I think in part because it's about psychic powers in the army. Uh, One of these phenomenon we see, and I would say the same thing would apply here with Skinwalker and, and funding all these things by the government, is... If it's something, quote-unquote, weird and goofy, all sorts of things that would normally be questioned aren't. You know? yeah, yeah, so my friend Tim Farley runs a website called whatstheharm.net. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of the counterpoint to uh, all the sites that you know, are based on anecdotes. It's like anecdotally, there's, you know, people use that as almost like evidence because, hey, as story-based creatures – Anecdotes are evidence. I mean, at a gut level, right? I mean, they're not really evidence from a scientific level, but they are, they feel like evidence, right? And so he's doing the flip of that and saying, hey, here's what's the harm in 
uh, psychics. Here's what's the harm in, uh, you know, various other phenomena. He's got a lot of them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and one might question, what's the harm in wondering about uh, whether or not there's really UFOs and monsters on a ranch in Utah? And I would say at least some of the harm is in straight up tax dollar wasting. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> yeah. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing. And I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur (laughs) injuries, paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It, there is money out there without ripping people off, or without taking tax dollars. There's other ways to look into these matters. And if you're going to seriously look into it, uh, to be blunt, I think you need to have skeptics on board because one of the things we want to look at is not whether or not you should have money into it. It's whether or not your own biases and belief are actually affecting your ability to judge the evidence. And if you've been studying something for almost 20 years and all you've got is stories, then maybe there's nothing there. Well, see, that's that's where my problem comes in. My yeah. problem's not the money. I mean, my God, we live in a world where Las Vegas pumps water into fountains in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> they you know, do I mean, use gray water. <laughs> like, like, look, we're looking at the sixth extinction. We're looking at, at the human race destructing itself through climate. I mean, any number of things. So the money parts, like if we're talking about materialist problems, that's a drop in the damn bucket. Uh, my problem. Do you see how he tied that metaphor together? <laughs> yeah. My my problem is 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 this is the sowing seeds of doubt without good reason. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, we don't actually know a thing, and we've applied our reason. It's another thing to go, hey. We applied all our science, and anecdotes say a predator creature came and destroyed our camera. Therefore, fuck your science. Uh, no, no, that I I I do have a problem with that uh, because that's basically the equivalent of an unnamed, not billionaire politician going, nobody knows for sure. You know that it's that same. 
unleash doubt for your own purposes, which goes back to the, you know, the old Mark Twain, you know, the, the, by the time the truth puts its boots on, a lie has, uh, crossed around the world and I'm mangling the, the paraphrase. But, yeah. Yeah. But the same concept. Yeah. 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 Uh, th- that's, that's a reality. The, the, and I know we're talking about, and I'm not going to get into this too much, but a certain Ixnay Ortfe uh, person uh, who, yeah, he points out important problems with institutional science, but he also is pointing out things that are completely bunk to make a political point. Yeah, it, and, it's and, a problem. It's a real problem. And, and, I, and yeah. I see this here. It's like, look, if you want to go study this place, then go study this place. If the response you go is, well, we studied it and nothing works because I can't capture Bigfoot on a portal. Well, at some point, we're no longer talking even remotely the same language. Yeah. So let's step back just for a minute. I, I, I have this hypothesis, and I think you've got the same hypothesis. And the question is, why was Bigelow and this group of investigators looking at this property in the first place. Well, so he has a, a real interest in, I mean, he has a real fascination with UFOs and also consciousness. And that's that's been the thing that's been driving him from the beginning now. I have heard talk of Bigelow also the idea of wanting to monetize this to to sort of develop technologies off it. And I've heard that idea I'm not so sure that's necessarily the case, but that involves knowledge I don't have. Yeah, that's definitely it, right. If if the to the Stars Academy uh, premise, yeah, they, they they have a very similar idea. Yeah, but I've heard yeah. that for Bigelow, yeah. before they came on the scene. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he has a legitimate interest in space. He has legitimately, as far as I know, uh, I'm, I'm going to point this out before yeah. we go farther. Yeah. He would not be, by any stretch of the imagination, the first person to have such an idea, the first institution. We've talked about the idea of remote viewers being used by various governments, not just the United States. is the only one, though, that's what we were talking about. But I mean, very famously, in the 1990s, the Sony Corporation, which you know is billion, you know, billion-dollar corporation, set up a psionics lab because they wanted to detect psi and turn it into profit. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Never went anywhere, obviously. Uh, but yeah, no, this is not the first time that the, this is not a, a terribly unusual idea. Yeah, I, I'm glad they didn't because Sony's uh, uh, tendency to make proprietary products. I, I'm, I'm imagining the, the Sony thought man. <laughs> um, no, that's that's where they were going. I mean, that yeah, was you're, you're not far off and it never went anywhere. But that was that was sort of the intent. Like, can we make electronic products that tie into psychical research and we can see how far that went these are the people that made the movie uh pixels with adam sandler (laughs) i've seen that more than once (laughs) i i'm um i'm frustrated uh by bigelow in some ways i i I respect the fact that which uh, would make you very similar to a lot of the larger community of ufology yeah i I mean he's got all these resources and this is the thing he puts his money into it's like oh come on you're right but but um it's i mean it's not the only thing i mean i don't want to get too deep into this um no it's not the only thing but yeah yeah but you know he was involved with uh aspects of research into abduction and uh, he may, it appears he's involved to some degree or 
was involved with him, aspects of Bob Lazar. We may get back to that in a moment. Oh, boy. And, of course, he made a relationship with MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, which we've talked about before on this show, uh, and the star teams and this kind of rapid research. So he's got his fingers in a number of ufological pies. This just – and, again, if you – really are serious about like, oh, I believe this and I'm going to research this. The idea that there is a bounded space is kind of like, I could look for Bigfoot. Well, where is it? Anywhere in North America versus, well, I can look for Nessie. Where is it? Here in this lake. Yeah. There, there's a certain appeal to a boundedness. I mean, you, you would expect, I think, I think most people would expect that, that someone who's a billionaire is not an easy mark yet. And I mean that in the, uh, carny sense of, uh, Someone who could be exploited to take advantage of their money. And and I wonder, sincerely, if people in the UFO community are not taking advantage of him. Um, now, it could but, be... This this has been alleged by others. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, it's the, one scenario would be that all the people involved are all sincerely believers and are boosting each other's, you know, coming up with ways in which they can explain why things are not scientifically replicatable or, you know, why things are not measurable or sensible. I mean, sensible in the sense of sensors, not in the logical sense. But the other take on it would be that the, uh, you know, he's he's been surrounded by people who are taking advantage of him. And I, I don't know. It would be wrong. And, be- and, and there's the in the middle. Yeah, it could be in the middle. Uh, the, yeah. the, the people that are believers but also look at this tactically. I mean, the 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 classic example here would be Bill Moore, uh, who was involved in Roswell UFO research and eventually admitted in public that he had worked with aspects of the Air Force uh, uh, US Air Force Office of Special Intelligence to spread disinformation in return for how he thought he was getting closer to the truth. So it wasn't like, I'm just going to make money off of UFOs and ufologists, but I want to get to the truth. How am I going to do it? By deceiving ufologists and spying yeah, on yeah. them. Yeah. Well, you know, misinformation really happens. You know, it really and, 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 and Disinformation mixed, really happens. Right. I mean, yeah. And mixed, but mixed motives. Like, right, hey, right. I believe in this stuff. Well, this guy does too. Well, I have an angle, but I also, I'm, but it's not like, oh, I don't believe any of it's true. And again, reminder, it can get complicated. the government's not one big thing. Yeah. Individual actors within their own uh, bailiwick have the ability to influence things in a certain way. So, right. yeah, it, it's worth reminding us ourselves of that constantly, that the government's not a, a, a monolith. Um, and, and within that context, there's lots of positive and negative activity going on. There's things that you would agree with, things you would disagree with. But yeah. I would argue that since the end of World War II, certainly since 1947 and the National Security Act, uh, the kind of permanent war footing of the United States government and the kind of creation of a national security state of a large military, a large intelligence network of a sort that had not existed before World War II in the U.S. other than during times of war – uh, lends a huge credibility, you know that this this notion of the government as the super secret holder, as as having, you know, it gets very gnostic, you know, having control and 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 keeping knowledge from people, even if when it's positive, like oh well, we have Area Fifty One, but we have it for your best interests, you know, that that sort of idea. 
uh, is a pervasive notion during the Cold War and then after the end of the Cold War. Well, why are they keeping all these secrets? Well, there must be another secret. Well, you I, know, I, and this we, explains a lot of the rise of conspiracy culture in the 1990s. As you know, Jeb, one of my hobbies or one of my interests is uh, technology and the history of technology and the evolution of technology. And, and part of that involves studying the evolution of systems. And one of the books I read in, in that goal was a, a book called Systemantics by John Gall. And now it's a cynical, amusing book. I am so happy that was not John Galt, but continue. Yeah, no, no, it's a different guy. Yeah, <laughs> who who's John Galt? No, no, that yeah, was, no. See, that was the no, joke. No, that was the joke. No, okay, so. no. Anyway, <laughs> but John Gall has a thing called Gall's Law, which basically says that any complex system that works can invariably found uh, to be evolved from a simpler system that also worked. Yeah, which is amusing and cynical, but yet also a fundamental core concept of evolution. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. anything that's complicated had to evolve from a simpler system that also worked. But but one of the things that, that Gall uh, in his systematic book postulates is that eventually any bureaucracy or any, any kind of system will eventually become only focused with the preservation of itself. Like a bureaucracy becomes solely focused on preserving the bureaucracy, right? Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see that. And that gets into yeah. sort of institutional theory that you find in anthropology and yeah. sociology. And, and, and I would agree. Right. Like we may have, like each human being may have some grand purpose. We may all have some life purpose, but from day to day, our purpose is to eat food and reproduce. So, uh, yeah. So in, in a government similarly uh needs to gather taxes and control the populace that's but if this is not understood yeah. it starts to get mythologized as well what are they actually doing right, the answer right. is paying the workers and continuing right. the institution <laughs> you keep it going but, right so, right so, but from the outside yeah. it's like oh well they're keeping the dark secret they're the deep state they're do they're doing all these sorts of right. things and so I, I don't there's not necessarily malice behind these sort of things i guess is my or point. or even yeah. larger purpose other than well when I got here, this thing existed. I better not be the person who killed it. <laughs> there is that too. You know, I, I was like, that, well, don't break it. It, it. It's a very meta way of looking at things, but I think it's an important insight that 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 this is in some way, even if it's cynical, even if it's amusing, it does become true. And, so, but, yeah, yeah. So with the sort of sort of superhuman, because these things are older and bigger than us, in, in, by any one of us anyway, uh, kind of national security state, it lends a patina of credibility to these. Like, oh well, this guy, this person says that they're talking to aliens from Zeta Reticuli. Well, that's great. Well, this person who was hired by the CIA in a secret lab said they were talking to extraterrestrial biological entities from zeta reticuli like oh well that's interesting you know like it it really lends this aspect to it and and i think that's a big part of you know the difference between skinwalker and uh zach bagans buying a haunted house in indiana yeah you know they're 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 both similar in a number of respects but one has that blessing of the military industrial complex or at least a fraction of it. Yeah. But the other has a lot of moose. Oh, boy. 
Now, so speaking of entertainment and Skinwalker, are we going to talk about the fact that one of the reasons why the Skinwalker Ranch is back on the lips of the peoples is that there was a movie? Yeah, we should, because I think that's what actually set me off in our discussion with Karen, Mm -hmm. um, is uh, I watched that movie. I watched it from end to end, and it was... Hunt for the Skinwalker. It's the same name as... uh, Kelleher and Knapp's book. Yeah, and the reason it's fresh on my mind is because he has a new documentary coming out uh, in December. On Bob Lazar. On Bob Lazar. And the, the the secret physicist of Area 51. Yeah. And, or engineer or whatever he allegedly is. And again, Bob Lazar is also someone I've been following since the 90s. Um, and tied into, as become more recently known, tied into the whole Bigelow scene to some degree. Yeah. So Lazar basically was a guy who said he worked at Area 51 uh, and he saw alleged flying saucers right. well, and, and was given a briefing about aliens. Yeah, yeah. He, his story is fascinating. You can find it on YouTube if you want to hear the Art Bell interviews with him. But that's what really sort of put him in the national spotlight. Now, Knapp, but, but Knapp, brought Knapp there by too. George Knapp. Yeah, Knapp, co-author of Hunt for the Skinwalker. It's all tied together. Mm-hmm. Now – I, one wonders if, if again, I don't want to uh, slander uh, Mr. Lazar. I'll just say this, that he made many interesting claims, most of which were not backed up by uh, even the shallowest bit of uh, Well, he, he says he went to this university or that university, has these degrees, yeah, this yeah. job research. Yeah. And people that are very much considered to be hardcore elements of ufology, like, say, Stanton Friedman, looked into this and said, no, there's no evidence of you in yearbooks or all that. The response to which was the all-seeing eye of Sauron and or the government erased all of that information. Which is a pretty good trick to take your photo out of yearbooks. That's that's good stuff right there. Well, so mandala effect or something i don't know oh boy oh boy yeah. don't let, yeah. let don't don't turn me into the hulk you know well, what I, I have. <laughs> don't 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 make me mandala angry now, now, you won't uh, like me when again, i'm mandala i'm not angry. saying that that lazar not mandala we keep we yeah, keep yeah. saying mandala but that actually works beautifully in a jungian sense but yes there was a recent documentary the hunt for the skinwalker that in part came from an attempt previously by George Knapp to make a documentary and this was revisited by another filmmaker uh it's uh you can find it in various streaming places yep. and another and uh i uh i will do my my film reviewer as someone who doesn't know anything about film review and say i didn't like it much okay <laughs> the book's well written but the, it's like nothing's happening so instead of like talking about what's going on they like reference other things like Jacques Vallée and, and various other UFO stuff. Like, so you can see why. Also, people- also involved with Bigelow. Yeah. Good grief. It's all connected, man. Well, I mean, yeah. it kind of is. Well, it is, but not in a good way. And, well, it's, it's in a way. It's it, in a way that is. Yeah. It's in a way that is. Uh, but no, there's, there's. Follow there, the money, man. Well, so, <laughs> so a, a number of bits of the film are Knapp's earlier footage, and they're actually interesting. Yeah. Uh, witness testimony, other aspects. Knapp, again, is an Emmy Award-winning reporter, and he knows how to make media. 
Uh, and then there's parts that are um, more 21st century internet-y. Uh, there's a dude who wears an expensive watch and is blurred out, but you know he's important because he's got an expensive watch. Who says he owns the place? I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just saying it's cartoonish. Uh, there's some Jeeps or ATVs or something. There's a campfire scene. It's not Blazing Saddles because there's not a land shark. The campfire scene uh, is is kind of uh, uh, emblematic of the problem, which, which is basically people sitting around the fire telling stories, which is the whole thing. It's a bunch of stories with no evidence. Well, I think the difference here is I would contrast this film with, and we've talked about this at least a little in various places, uh, with the Bray Road Beast film by Seth Breedlove, yeah, uh, which came out also this year, documentary about the Beast of Bray Road and other aspects of the Dogman, with not unlike Skinwalker having sort of a focus with Nap and others, has the focus of uh, Linda Godfrey, uh, but there are other people in it, and that one is predominantly based on anecdotes and eyewitness testimony and uh all kinds of ideas about you know the pyramids why was it uh, interesting and this wasn't um i think here's why we've both read books by people involved in these but we had not heard the people like we have both heard linda godfrey on coast to coast many, and other many venues. times many times sure yeah no one else involved had we ever heard we had never seen these places. Uh, if nothing else, and there were also new ideas pushed forth in that. If nothing else, it fleshed out this concept. How many times have we heard people talk about the same people talk about the same stories of Skinwalker Ranch on Coast to Coast in books, in two other books? Decades, in that's how long. Two There's decades. There's two decades that, yeah. of not a terribly different story. Yeah. Then go farther than that. We've heard about Bob Bigelow here. We've heard about Bob Bigelow there. We've heard about Jacques Vallée here. We've heard about Hal Putoff there. We've heard about John. So it is part of a larger story, which is fascinating in the aggregate as the story of the evolution of a belief community. Not saying I want to write a book on this topic or anything. That's my next plan. But, uh, but, but in all seriousness, that is serious though. I, this is a story that especially once the New York Times story broke and showed that this was continuing and that it was tied to, at least nominally, to the stars and you see the same actors appearing again and again, we kind of know this story. There's these people that believe these things. It goes back to the 70s. There's funders. There's there's organizers. There's media promoters and and we know most in essence you you mentioned that a lot of these people keep showing up on things like coast to coast it's kind of like you know you watch ancient aliens or you hear coast to coast we keep hearing the same people well we've heard these people again and again and again whereas in the case of the bray road beast we've heard linda godfrey but all the rest of it we've only ever really heard primarily through her and that film showed us these people these places and that was different yeah and also and, and i this is just a personal thing but uh the filmmaker for the skinwalker ranch movies jeremy corbell 
and he's also the guy doing the uh, the Bob Lazar movie. He, he's he's got several things in the works according to yeah. IMDb, but uh, I'm not sure. But I I, uh, I something about him I find abrasive. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, he just seems like so over the top with his. Uh, confidence weaponizing your curiosity yeah yeah maybe that's it yeah it, it's just uh i like i have an intense you know how i weaponize my curiosity no going to a goddamn library <laughs> i just took all my kids uh, now all my kids have library cards i just finished that up today yeah. but okay and, so so i i just it bugs me because of the arrogance, confidence, whatever that he's got going on. Like this is like he's a, a groundbreaking filmmaker. If you're going to be a groundbreaking filmmaker, uh, my big uh, uh, what I'm expecting, my big expectation is that you break some ground. Which, again, <laughs> a large chunk of the film is repurposed as is shown in the film. George Knapp pointing out, hey, I did all this work and it didn't go anywhere for a number of reasons, yeah. including Bigelow's fairly well-known penchant for secrecy. Yeah. It was nice to see Bigelow talk. I, I, I enjoyed seeing him on camera. He's he's in there for a short yeah. amount of time. Yeah, because yeah, I've seen him in a few things recently. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he's in there and there are other players in there. But no, it it seems to be, hey, here's all this nap stuff, and then now let's go extreme with an X and a 90s style on the front of the word, go interview people somewhat related to what to, to who Nap talked to. What I said before when I was talking to Karen was I called that film a nothing burger. And it's not one one of my favorite phrases at all. So I I, I used it reluctantly. But basically, there's nothing there. And if you want, not, not really, yeah. And, and, and if you want to hear the story of the Skinwalker, the film almost completely captures the material that's in the book. the The, the big difference is the book has additional uh, UFO Details. lore that sort of yeah. like uh, shore it up, at least give it some context within the realm of ufology. ufology well, not not only that, I would say you could you could read the book. I'm sure there's a listenable version somewhere. There is on Audible. There are probably no, sponsor, but nope. yeah, there are probably <laughs> archives of very that you can find on YouTube and where else. And we're not recommending you do this. Of various uh, appearances of Colm Kelleher, George Knapp, and others on Coast to Coast. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I know, feel like they covered a lot of the same material in those interviews. I was actually well. This is this is what I'm yeah, getting at. Yeah, this is yeah. my point. Is and I know Colm Kelleher showed up. You, you want to hear? Uh, a deep dive, go to the archives of Tim Banal's Banal of America, where he goes for a two some hours talking to Colm Kelleher about the exact same anecdotes that show up in, in Hunt for the Skinwalker. The one part of Hunt for the Skinwalker, the film that actually stuck with me, was they get into some detail about the, again, this sounds really terrible, the cattle packing incident with, <laughs> with the cattle all being allegedly herded or pushed or something into a small area, into a shed or right. whatever it was. Jeb had high expectations, but they totally wrecked him. Well, there was at least some <laughs> still there. I mean, no, that at least was like, okay, I can see the building they're talking about. I can sort of see what's going Jeb, on here. Jeb wrecked him. Yeah. 
Wrecked him. Yeah, I. Oh. <laughs> Damn you. Damn you. Um, no, these are living cattle. <laughs> they are. But, they are. They survived. Yeah. But um, that at least had something going on that I had not terribly seen before. But but yeah, that I had heard that story again and again and again, and I'd read it, and I had you know other things. There wasn't just much there. Yeah, there's a really cool book called Dreamland uh, about. Oh it. yes, yeah, love yeah. that book, and it's yeah. it's it's the flip side of Area 51. It's the there's a lot of aircraft spotters who are also equally interested in Area 51, but don't believe in UFOs and a, from an alien extraterrestrial perspective, and and some that are somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Glenn Campbell, the Desert Rat, uh, who uh, who who kind of pioneered all of this. Uh, this kind of people going and and sort of one wanting to see what's going on in Area 51 from a plane spotter sense, but two kind of protesting like, hey, there's this stuff we can't see. What the hell's going on there? Yeah, and, uh, and, and the government I don't think did itself any favors by taking away Freedom Ridge. Uh, no, which which uh, unfortunately, uh, I I did my UFO road trip in '97, and I think it was '90. Five, they took it away. It's some yeah. somewhere around, somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah. So, well, not only that, there were credible allegations of activities that would have anywhere else broken environmental laws and put people in danger oh, yeah, of yeah, burning yeah, yeah. toxins so, yeah, for, that were done real, there right. because it is secret. So, yeah. who's going to prosecute? And as our audience may know, every president since Bill Clinton has signed a document saying. The activities that occur at Groom Lake, the Groom Lake installation, also known as Area 51, are so important for national security that they fall outside of federal law. Yeah, and one of my other pet peeves is how many of the sightings uh, are accompanied by things like, if the, the, the behavior of this vehicle would have killed a human pilot, and this was mostly Luckily, the United States has never flown anything not flown by a human pilot. Exactly. So this is the late nineties, and then what happens a few years later? We find out that oh, drones, drones, exactly. There is which no have been pilot. around for a long while. I mean, there's yeah. drones going back into the into yeah. the fifties and sixties, yeah. although they're far more primitive, obviously. Again, if anything happened at all, but you know, we don't even know that. But we do. Well, know- I've, I've even heard some of the things around Lazar. Some of the things he pointed out may have also been. Tests of plasma weapons of certain kinds of things seen yeah. in the in the sky. These are entirely plausible. Yeah. Uh, you know the the Paul Benowitz case. He wasn't reporting on you know super awesome aircraft. He was reporting on it appears on signal scrambling uh, that he didn't understand, uh, possibly involving submarines or other kinds of technology. But that was enough to get him interested. It's like oh, it's UFOs, and at that point, UFO lore was used against him. Uh, so I guess to sum this all up, the Skinwalker Ranch, on the one hand, is a form of modern kind of re-enchanted landscape folklore. This this place that is haunted by every possible boogeyman inspector under the sun, from portal hopping Bigfoot to blue meanies that melt your dog <laughs> – to to cattle mutilations, to UFOs, uh, don't to, forget predators, to predator spirit demon things. That, on the one hand, 
get kind of cloaked in secrecy because they get studied by a guy deep in with the military and the mil- and you know the aerospace industry and all of his sort of scientists that are related to remote viewers from secret government projects and all of that. And everything I just said is not sarcastic. All of that's true. And then on the other hand, because of all of that secrecy and all of that, that increases belief both inside and outside the program and increases that kind of certainty that Blake was decrying earlier that, well, look, credible people believe in this, therefore they study it, therefore they study it, therefore it must be credible that Bigfoot's coming out of a portal because parapsychology shows that your materialism is a lie. Right. It, it's a self-feeding loop of, of, of unverifiable anecdotes. And if you've wondered why we haven't covered Skinwalker Ranch before now, despite the fact that I've known about it for a full decade before we ever Because started, it is damn hard to do it in a coherent fashion. It really is. It really is. I, I think we've just explained it pretty as succinctly as possible. <laughs> I think we I think we've explained it as succinctly as possible and the rambling, disjointed nature in which we have done so what better is actually to Meta, meta textually <laughs> important for understanding why it is, you know, th- this is one of those things. And I love these things. Like I am not interested as much in, well, here's a photo. Well, that photo is obviously a mummy in a museum, but you're saying it's a UFO. Like, well, that's terrible, but simple. It's this stuff where it's like, if you start talking to somebody who's got a decent sense of how they should actually live their life about this, they're like, why don't you go back to your office and work on that? Because I have things that are not crazy things. Yes. Yeah. Why don't you do that? And 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 there's a reality to that. And, and again, you know, sometimes we have talked about the the notion of God in the gaps. This is not God in the gaps. This is credibility in the chaos. Oh, this yeah, is nicely said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I I like as it was coming out, I liked it. Uh, th- this 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 is this is credibility in the chaos. This is look, this is a place that is so chaotic that no one wants to go there, but by going there, you become the person who speaks about that chaos. That's how I see Skinwalker Ranch. And you know, I'm sure that people were like, but they're spectral werewolves and I saw them. I'm like, well, great. I, I, what do you want me to Can say I tell you, let me tell you something. On the way home tonight, as I come around the curve, my neighbor, who has this awesome house, has parked a giant, shiny bus or van or something outside of his garage. It, it, it has wheels. It's it's not hovering, right? It's cleaner than my it, truck. It's, I, it's, I, not, I, right. it's, it's not uh, injured cold. Right. He's no, not going to come out with No, but hand. Jesus, that's an amazing uh, thing to say because what happened is the oh, lights – Oh boy. From his garage, oh boy, we're, we're hitting the side of the van, and as my headlights hit the his van as well, it made an absolutely glorious angelic figure that oh just came out of the darkness for just a moment, and then disappeared. And I thought, oh my god, I'm running late to talk to Jeb. I would love to go back up into this intersection and take a video of that because as I as I passed through the intersection, it perfectly made a glowing angel. 
And uh, I thought, Blake, Blake, you're yeah. pretty sure you're not Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, right? I'm not, but the amazing okay. thing is like, I just yeah, want to make sure. It was such a really cool, but easily explained visual phenomena. But if I were uh, more 40 and inclined, if I were more supernaturally inclined, I would have thought I saw an angel. And, and I mean, it absolutely compellingly looked like an angel. And I see patterns and people see images and people find patterns in chaos. And that's a big... Blake, I'm going to do my James Quarter well-known skeptic impression. Uh, it was owls. It was totally giant six foot tall glowing owls, Jeb. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. So, no, I know, I know what you're getting yeah, at. Yeah. And, 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 our brains see shit whether we want to or not, Jeb. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, and, yeah. and, and here's, here's the reality. And I think maybe this is actually the kind of takeaway, although I'm totally going to try to remember that, uh, credibility in the chaos thing. Uh, the reality is our brains see things. And because we are social creatures and cultural creatures, our brains then make them real. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily physically real, but socially real, which as social creatures is kind of the same thing. It is. That's, that's the real takeaway from skepticism is that if you study you know, how humans remember things, how we perceive things, it's all flawed. Our memories are flawed. Everything's flawed. And we're lucky to have the scientific method to help us test uh, and verify it against other people's also uh, trying to reproduce the results. So. Which, which I, my, my final thought on that is what you're saying is on the one hand, we don't know everything, but at the same time, that is not the exact same phrase as we don't know anything. Right. No, it's not. Exactly. Those are not the same thing. The and same I think thing. for right. too many people, right. any, those become any the doubt, same thing. Any doubt is not the same as complete doubt. And, and certainty is not a, 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 a currency I trade in. But, but you got to have some best guess. And, and I think uh, we have a provisional truth. And a provisional truth based on facts is much better than one based on anecdote. And yeah. I, I think that's a good wind-up point. Yeah. Yep. Jeb, thank you for, for joining me. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, I, I love these rabbit hole discussions. Yeah. Uh, it, they're, for me, they are frankly far more interesting because they're actually quite challenging. They, they are, as we've been talking about, this sort of, look, I don't actually know what's going on. I find that far more interesting than, well... I know what this is and I'm going to tell you what this is and that's important. But these cases where like, I think I know what's going on, but I'm not really certain, I guess is sort of a secular form of mystery. Like, I don't know what Bigelow's doing. I don't know what's going on here, but it's intriguing. And so I'm always happy to have these kinds of discussions. There's going to be more Skinwalker in the future. I think it's inevitable. And there's going to be more Bigelow in the future. I think that's inevitable. And there's definitely going to be more Bob Lazar coming up real oh soon. Oh, boy. Uh, and I, I'll watch that video. I'll take that bullet for the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're going to take it for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to make a bold prediction yeah. there. I will say, as the audience may be aware, I am not a huge fan of the punning, but Blake came up with a absolutely fantastic pun for discussing <laughs> the resurrection of the Bob Lazar phenomenon. So I'm just going to leave that there. Let, let's let our clever, our clever listeners figure that one out. Thank you so much, Blake. 
Thank you, Jeb. I really appreciate it. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm your host, Blake Smith. This was the Patreon exclusive about Skinwalker Ranch featuring Dr. Jeb Card, author of Spooky Archaeology. There's lots of stuff linked to in the show notes at monstertalk.org. I hope you'll check that out. As a reminder, you can read about the video game mystery that I wrote about at bit.ly forward slash mystery. All one word, all lowercase. Um, and links to that are also in the show notes. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or the views of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Longtime listeners to Skeptoid and also to our colleague podcasts often asked, what can I do? We all believe in the value of critical thinking and of the intellectual tools that help us tell fact from fiction. But we don't always know how to best spread those tools to others. Well, let me offer one easy and effective option. Skeptoid Media, that's us by the way, is currently in production on a feature documentary titled Science Friction about how the media abuses its science experts by misquoting them or editing them out of context, exploiting their reputations to promote sensationalized news or fake documentaries promoting debunked alternative histories. Part of our mission as a nonprofit is that we will retain educational rights to give this movie free to teachers worldwide, alongside complete, professionally produced educational materials to bring formalized lessons in critical thinking and scientific skepticism directly into classrooms. To retain those rights, we're crowdfunding the initial production. We're just about halfway to our goal right now, which you can see at sciencefriction.tv. You want to know what you can do to give the tools to students? This is it. We're asking a basic contribution of $100. If you're on the team, now's the time to take the field and play ball. Please come to sciencefriction.tv and make your tax-deductible donation to Science Friction. We ask $100, but any amount helps. Donate enough, you can even become an executive producer and get a legitimate screen credit. ScienceFriction.tv. Watch the promo and see our stories. Monster Talk theme music's by Pete Stealing Monkeys. As always, thank you so much for listening.
hungry for more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skeptic, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. My name is Jeremy Corbell. I seek to weaponize your curiosity. I take my laser gun and I go pew, pew, pew! 